In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Triple. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you virtually from Philadelphia, as well as New Orleans, the Big Easy. Yes, we're actually in two different time zones. Um, but just like on the screen, there is just a thin line between Vincent and I. We are presenting to you a thin line between love and hate. The film that we will be reviewing tonight on the Michelle Mission. What's up, Vincent? Hey, how are you? Well, I'm doing I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Before we get an update on what's happening here in uh, New Orleans, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give you a heads up that we had hoped to have our very special guest, Andrea Lawful Sanders, on the air tonight. But she will not be available to review her selection. But Vincent, I will soldier on and give you our review. Shout out to each and every one of you out there watching us as we are streaming live via StreamYard to YouTube as well as Facebook and everybody in the chat. I see you, Deborah, Sharon, Aaron, Robert, and Khadijah. Hello, everyone. Good evening, one and all. And Robert Monroe asks the question that is on everybody's lips, Vincent. How are you enjoying NOLA, Len? Yes. How are you enjoying New Orleans. I am enjoying it very well. I've had a good time. I got some good food yesterday. Um, went down to Li- Little Dizzy's Cafe. Had some fried catfish and shrimp and some dirty rice. Oh, I, I love me some dirty rice. And that was some good dirty rice. Nice. Went to um, Baldwin and Company, uh, Baldwin's bookstore, which is really dope. It was a really dope experience. Really dope. Cool, cool bookstore. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, tonight on air, I have a pole boy, or at least what I thought was a pole boy. Vincent has corrected me. You shall see in a moment. And I have a hurricane. And I will begin taking in the hurricane now at the top of the show. Okay? Here we go. You get is that is that cup full? Yeah, it's full. Look at it. Oh, yeah. It's full. It's full. All right. Now, everyone, for those who are just tuning in, everyone has has um 
warned me about the hurricane as being a strong drink. And I do have to say, when I went to the bartenders and I said, uh, can I get a hurricane? He asked, are you sitting down first? I said, no. <laughs> but then he gave me a hurricane, brought it up to my room. It's very tasty. I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. This is very tasty. I'm enjoying it. Uh, uh, Robert Monroe was saying, up. Uh, uh, Rose says, uh-oh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and Sharon Eldridge, can't wait to see how lit Len will be on that hurricane. See? See? Okay. Well, what's the over-under? Like, how, like, 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 how lit am I going to be, Vincent? You've had a hurricane before, right? Yeah. Although I have, I, I have, I have to say they're usually a little bigger than that. So I think this is just because it was a travel size. Right, I mean, you know, you'll be okay. I should be all right. I mean, this is okay. Yeah, this is like maybe what twelve ounces. Yeah, yeah. Man, uh, I mean, he did like it is a lot of liquor. Like, dude, grab like about six bottles. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It's a lot of liquor. As a matter of fact, he actually filled it up and said, "Yo, I filled it up a little bit. I'm gonna need you to sip some out first, so oh, he God. could add in the last liquor." So I had to sip some out so he could fill up the last. All right, last liquor. Now, now slow down. You're taking a lot of sips very quickly, though. Like I have noticed that. Like slow down. It's good. I, I, we've been on. Nisa <laughs> said, "I'm about to turn up." We've been on six minutes. Pace <laughs> yourself. Does it mean anything? I'm sweating. Does that mean anything? Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, my things. I didn't mean to say to you. No one kiss my ass. <laughs> Number two, where's my ass? What is funny? Right. Slow that home. Now, in regards to the po' boy, yeah, right. Um, I was at a meeting for my job only forty-five minutes before we went on air, so I didn't have time to go out and grab a po' boy from the street. So I had to order one from DoorDash, right? So from something that looked like it had like a whole bunch of you know um, reviews. So I was like, okay, sounds like it's going to be pretty decent. So, but it gave me the option of getting a po' boy either on, um, I'm assuming it was a long roll because this one, there was one that was like about $13 and then it was either a bun or on toast and those were cheaper, but I didn't know which was which. So I chose a bun. Right. It's, it's, right. it's supposed to be on French bread. I did I. I didn't know. I don't know. I don't know these things because I've never had a po' boy. So this is what they sent me, ladies and gentlemen. They sent me, essentially, to me, a po' boy, like a shrimp burger. And I'm, I'm going to blow up my screen a, a little bit, Vince, so that uh, people can see it. It's shrimp, and it's got the mayonnaise and fried shrimp was moving around there, you see? So... I'm going. It's a lot like a um. I think it's a muffaletta, muffaletta, muffaletta. What the hell is a muffaletta? It's, it's another kind of sandwich and roll. 
Mm. Maybe okay. mispronouncing it, but I think it's it's Mufaleta, Mufaleta. I ain't mess with them because it's okay. usually like salami and stuff on them. Well, there's no salami on here. This is just sh- uh, shrimp, lettuce, tomatoes, pickles, and mayonnaise. Right. I'm about to take a bite. Ask you, do you want it dressed or undressed? Well, it's from it's, it's from DoorDash, so they don't. I don't. They don't have that option. So I know I do realize that I have to go get a a real po' boy tomorrow. But I'm gonna right. take a bite of this and see how this at least tastes. This right. configuration. I mean, it looks good. It tastes like a shrimp sandwich. Tastes like a shrimp sandwich. All right. Now, because of the bun, it tastes like a McDonald's fish sandwich. Right. So that's not necessarily a good taste. Yeah, we're not going to do New Orleans like this and say that you had some. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to say that I've had a po' boy. Yeah, this is not a po' boy. Right. But so, it's, it's going to soak up some of the alcohol so you don't get to fighting. Yes, because according to Robert Monroe, I might not make it to the top five. <laughs> right. Right. But we'll see. And right, he says I should eat. Eat that before I drink more of the hurricane. That's what I said. It. That's what I said. You're probably right, Robert. See, now you're back on the hurricane. <laughs> you have any I got water over there? It's in the, it's in it's over by my bed. Oh, see, here we go. <laughs> Haven't even made it to ten minutes. <laughs> I'm moving on. Moving on. Yeah. We do have a show to do, ladies and gentlemen. And in that vein, we have listener and mail, Vincent. Uh, missives from the missionaries. We got an email from Jeff Johnson in regards to our review of the liberation of L.B. Jones. Okay. Lennon Vincent, I enjoyed your recent stop on the mission to explore the liberation of L.B. Jones. As always, you both unpacked the film and expanded on the conversation with insight and humor. The deep cuts into the bionic family were great. Dude, we went all in on the $6 million man and the bionic woman. (laughs) That was like incredible. Anyway, he continues. The liberation of LB Jones is a complicated watch. The more you unpack the film project and its history, the messier it gets. On our YouTube channel, Movie Review Men with Jeff and Claude. Ah, this is the promo. Uh, my co-host Claude Featheray and I concluded that it was a film that belonged in a museum. We made this another deep cut analogies to Indiana Jones, as well as a tribute to Yappy Koto, who had recently passed. Claude was intrigued by Quentin Tarantino's podcast, Pure Cinema and CrimeReads.com, that talked about the sordid history of the film. And they uh, drew us to review it last year and made us decide to not endorse it. Keep on the great mission of reviewing every black film ever made. Jeff Johnson, movie review man. Thank you, Jeff. Always nice to hear from people doing the good work. Most definitely. We appreciate that. And uh, hopefully our signals can cross uh, later on uh, down the line. Um, We we also the name of their podcast was? The name of their podcast is indeed called The... Movie Review Men with Jeff and Claude. The Movie Review Men with Jeff and Claude. Go check that out, folks. Yeah, there you go. All right. And tell them the Michelle Mission sent you. That's right. We also got a notice on an email. Okay. 
and this is from um, uh, Shari, who pretty much just clued us in on something that the American Film Institute is doing for Black History Month. They put together a movie guide highlighting select films that celebrate Black storytelling from timeless classics to unforgettable contemporary films that have influenced our culture. This is from the American Film Institute. Um, and I was looking through this this film and it's some of the some of the usual suspects that you would expect to see on such a film for Black History Month, mm-hmm. um, such as the color purple. Sure, of course. Twelve Years a Slave, um, Borders of the Dust, oh, do, yeah. do the Right Thing, Ease Bayou, of course. Of course. Um, some more contemporary films, such as Fences. Yeah, oh yeah. Get Out. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Um, and talking about really contemporary, um, is that black enough for you? Oh, yeah. Also made the list. But here, there's a few films that kind of, um, I was, I, I had not heard of. I don't know if you've heard of this film, uh, Vincent, called The Killing Floor. This is from 1984. It's based on true events, explores the labor movement after World War II and an African-American migrant struggle to build an interracial union in the Chicago stockyards. No, is this a documentary? No, it's a film. It's a it's a narrative film. The film won the 1985 Sundance Film Festival Jury Prize for dramatic films. Um, the Killing Floor from 1984. It looks like it's actually um, among some of the stars is Moses Gunn is in that movie. Okay, I like everything you said about the, who directed it. Uh, it does. I I don't see the director listed there. Um, okay. But that definitely sounded very interesting. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not a yeah, 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 absolutely on the list. I was I'm very happy to see that making this list also was a favorite of mine from 2011, Pariah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, from uh, writer director D. Rez. Uh, yeah, yeah, you introduced me to that. Yeah. Um, as well as our namesake, uh, Oscar Michaud's "Within Our Gates." Of course. Of course, from 1920 is on this list. It's a very long list, but it's, it's actually pretty cool. Carmen Jones is on the list. 12 Years a Slave. Um, it's a pretty interesting list of films to watch for Black History Month. So yeah. I thought it was thought it was kind of cool. Is I'm going the to hustle on there. The Monkey Hustle, I think that like I think there's like 20 films that they they list there. It's number 25. It didn't quite make the list. The Hustle did not make the cut. The 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 monkey hustle did not make the cut, Vincent. I don't know what they were thinking. More Hollywood politics, apparently. I'm sorry. Um, so I posted that that film that list actually to our um group page, the Michelle Nichols right. Check it out. And thank you for pointing that out, Sherry. Yes, we appreciate it most definitely. All right. It is time now for us to get into our top five. We want to keep this moving, man. Keep it moving. Top five. Who's your top five? My 
All right, top five, ladies and gentlemen, when I give Vincent a list and he tells me some interesting commentary about said list. What are you laughing at? We'll see how interesting it is. That's a lot of pressure. In honor of the film that we are reviewing tonight, which is A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, starring Martin Lawrence and Lynn Whitfield, I thought it might be interesting to look at some of the grand black femme fatales who have appeared in the films before. Well, also alongside Lynn Whitfield's um, character in Thin Line. Okay? I like it. All right. And we're going to start. We're going to go in chronological order okay so we're going to go back to 1954 1954 for dorothy dandridge and carmen jones i knew she'd be on the list i knew she'd be on the list she had to be right look man if you're gonna throw your life away Uh uh-huh dorothy dandridge in 1954 is a good reason yes Yes, Dorothy Dandridge, who was the femme fatale to one uh, Harry Belafonte in the role of Joe. This this tale of the cigarette maker Carmen and the Spanish cavalry soldier Don Jose um, that was translated uh, to the G.I. Joe, who was about to go go to flying school. Conflict arrives when a prize ring champ captures the heart of Carmen after she has seduced Joe and caused him to go AWOL. Mm. I mean, like, she, I, the, my taking image of that movie is when they are, like, they've kind of stole away to, like, this apartment. Oh, yeah. And she's, I think she's sitting on the table. Oh, yeah. It, like, and, 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 I don't even remember what was said. I just remember seeing Carmen Jones sitting on the table, and I was like, have it, have it, have it, have it. Whatever you want. Like, well, I think she was painting her toenails and she lifted her foot up for him to blow on her. That's right. That's right. I said, well, yeah, yeah. I'm drying some toes. Yeah, you're going to throw your whole life away. I think it's, because remember poor Betty Lou? Remember he had the little, he had the little uh, fiance, Betty Lou? That's right. Hello, Betty Lou. That's right. Oh, poor Betty Lou. I'm so bad for Betty Lou because, come on, Dorothy Dandridge, 1954. She never stood a chance. Never, never stood a chance. She never stood a chance. Like, we saw this coming. Like, we're like, the second she appears on screen, it was like, oh, this, we've seen this movie. Oh, yeah. He he punching Brock Peters. (laughs) Dude, there is no one in the world who's going to punch Brock Peters unless you being pumped up by Dorothy right. Andrews. Right. Like, when it wasn't a good idea to punch Brock Peters? Never. Never. I'll punch Brock Peters. No. No. No, I ain't gonna punch him. Baby. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Well, that's a good one, Lynn. That's, that's the archetype right there. That's the archetype. Yeah. Number four. Number four. Robin Givens, Robin Givens in a Rage in Harlem from yeah. 1991. 
it's interesting to note that in this is actually the film that kind of like as far as in movie history really is what sets the um uh 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 sets the 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 template for Robin Gibbons for a lot of the rest of her career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh yeah. she she plays Imabel um who flees Nash's uh, Mississippi with her with the stolen good of of one slip played by my show favorite Baja Do- um Jola. She ends up in New York with Slim's gang in pursuit. And while in Harlem, she latches on to an innocent undertaker named Jackson, played by the doe-eyed Forrest Whitaker, who takes her in and falls in love with her, um, despite despite the urging from um, to do different from Goldie, um, played by Gre- Gregory Hines. Um, in in this film directed by Bill Duke, yeah, that is yeah. that is a slept on film. This is actually a very cool, small, funny, interesting film, um, and everyone is at the in their A games in this movie. Yeah, yeah, we enjoyed it a great deal. We enjoyed it, and I agree with you. I I always. I always feel a little bad for Robin Givens during this period mm-hmm. because because of her personal life right and specifically her marriage to Mike Tyson I always felt like her her actual acting was overshadowed and I like Robin Givens I do too I like Robin Givens and she's good in this she is good in this but this like I said this is from 1991 this sense the template for the for her roles, which will then be cemented in you know, like dipped in amber with in nineteen ninety two with Boomerang. Right. So absolutely. And she become she becomes the template for the femme fatale. So much so that when I was looking this up, they reference Jasmine Guy's performance in Harlem Nights. Which is two which is two years before this. But as much as Jasmine Guy is definitely a femme fatale in that film, it doesn't feel like Jasmine Guy. Right. Like, like you you almost want to somehow retroactively put Robin Gibbons in that role right. in that movie. Because right. it feels like her it feels like that should be a Robin Gibbons role. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, number three. Number three, number three is a, is a um, a little known one, a buried treasure, if you will. Okay, that was the Michelle Mission didn't miss it, but some people may have missed it, and not see this film as a black film, and then thus do, do not give this actress her just due. Mm-hmm. And this is from also. Oh, excuse me, this is the wrong one. Um, this is also this is from nineteen ninety one. Also. Sure. One false move with Cinda Williams. Yes, sir. Love, love, love this movie. Mm-hmm. A tight, tight, like like film noir um flick with Cinda Williams starring alongside um 
Billy Billy Bob Thornton mm-hmm. and Bill Paxton mm-hmm. in a film that is directed by Carl Franklin. Yes, uh, it, 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 it it's a film that is Gene Siskel actually voted it as his favorite film of 1992. It was produced in 1991, came out in 1992. They um, the three actors played three criminals who commit six brutal mur- murders over the course of one night in Los Angeles as they seek a cache of money and cocaine. Then they leave for Houston to sell the cocaine to a friend of Pluto's. And then all types of dark drama ensues in this film, which is a slept, like I said, a right. slept on treasure. Now but you one- said Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton is not one of the criminals. Bill oh, that's right. He's, he's the cop. Jupiter is played by Jupiter is played by um, I don't see who Jupiter is played Michael, by. Um, Michael Beach. Pluto. You meant Pluto. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he played he played uh Pluto. Um yeah, this like I said, this is a slept on movie, ladies and gentlemen. But I implore you, find this film. Yeah. Watch it. And enjoy it, and enjoy the work of Cinda Williams. For those who only know her, mm-hmm. primarily right. from um, Mo Better Blues, that's right. This is another side of a of a a uh, unsung actress of great nuance and sensuality that she brings to the screen, um, and with just enough hint of menace in this film to fit the femme fatale um um like uh template but it this is just this is just an amazing movie love this movie yeah yeah absolutely absolutely agree with you all right so that's our number three that's also from 91 92 jennifer beals in Devil in a Blue Dress. Oh, yeah. Boy, I tell you, you're talking about Fifth Tough. This is like a top five. Like, like this is a film series right here, just watching these movies. I know, right? Because this, this, they're, they're all bangers. These are some great movies. So great. And different tones. When you think yeah. about Rage in Harlem's got the comedy, One False Move is definitely like, is 100% a thriller. And Devil in a Blue Dress is just another thriller that's taught that's got a little bit a little bit of the the funny in it with you know Don Cheadle um but Jennifer Beals look man this 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 is actually the, a role to me that showed that Jennifer Beals was actually an actress of note because she was a person that had for I think people had um kind of took for granted because of her looks and wow. you know, which were what were played up in Flashdance, the movie that made her a star. But this was the movie in nineteen ninety five, which is admittedly sometime after Flashdance, but you know, some you know, you get type you know, uh uh, uh stereotyped sometimes and you gotta fight your way through it. And this was a movie that uh fought her way through it and just took advantage of her looks, but also gave her an opportunity to not only smolder on screen, but really show her chops up against two formidable foes in Devil uh, Denzel Washington and Don Cheadle. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and this is a Washington has a little mustache. <laughs> you, here you go. Here you go, yes. This is one of the Denzel Washington mustache movies. Right. Like, Jennifer Mills is beautiful, but they put pretty-ass Denzel Washington on the poster. <laughs> well, no. He, br- he, he brings them to the yard as well, Vincent. What's up? That mustache brings the girls to the yard. He's a little smoldery right now. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm ready for the next poster. Oh, like how Denzel is looking at me. Okay. All right. I will I will leave that. And I will I will show number one. Now, number one is primarily here because we're going in chronological order. Okay. But I would say that if you really take time to investigate this film, which I don't if I pretty sure we haven't reviewed yet on the Michelle mission. But if you really take time to investigate this film, this may be the template for the um, femme fatale going forward. Okay. uh, Because you don't see it coming. And that is Sanaa Lathan in Out of Time from 2003. One of the, uh, another Denzel son's mustache. mustache. So I'm more comfortable with this. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you, you're you're fine with this. This one can stay on, on 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 screen for a little bit. Now, Sanaa Lathan in this in uh this movie is definitely fits the template of the the femme fatale in that she in this film plays Anna Marie Harrison who is a local residence of this uh, Florida Keys town um, that Denzel is the chief of police in. Wow. Uh, she is also an old flame of his, um, but she is at this point married to a guy named Chris, who was a uh, professional football player, um, who but who abuses her. And... Denzel's character, Matt, while taking Anne to the doctor in regards to her injuries from the abuse, finds out that she has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. So Matt, who's also going through a divorce with his wife, Alex, who was played by Eva Mendez, um, kind of like begins to rekindle his relationship with uh, Sanaa Lathan's character, only to find out that she may not be everything that she is divulging to him in this film. And it's interesting when you think of how where Sanaa Lathan's um, career has taken her. Yeah. To think that this is very early in her career and she's kind of playing like the duplicitous woman. Right. And she gets away with it because she just doesn't have that look. You just, even at this early stage, you don't figure that this is what she, she, you don't feel like she's going to pull the rug out from underneath Denzel Washington, the way that she does in this film. And is this called Franklin too? Uh, Out of time is indeed directed by Carl Franklin as well. Yeah. We have not reviewed it, but it's, it's shortlisted for me at least. Yeah. Into it. yeah. Well, these are some good movies. 
that that is our femme fatales. If there are any other femme fatales that you feel like we should uh, highlight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to let me know. Um, Deborah Battles pointing out uh, that Anna Lacasa should be on this list. See, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if well, femme fatale though. Yeah, I think if anything, she's being played by the guy fatale who is Sammy Davis Jr. Jumper. Yeah, as you, if you're thinking about the Eartha Kitt character in Anna terrible. Remember, her father was terrible. I forget what was her father's crime among everybody. Remember, she she had got engaged to the dude who was the teacher. I mean, the professor, and and Anna Lacasa was kissing the dude, so he called the university and got him fired. Oh, that's right. That is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, I I don't think she qualifies as like a femme fatale. You leave Anna Lacasa alone, Deborah Battle. She yes. is the love of a good man. That's all. That is that that's actually all. Um Robert Monroe is saying that he believes that Bill Duke directed the killing floor. Oh. I'm, going to, I'm going to look that up real quick. See if he did in fact. He did in fact direct uh the killing floor. Ah, I don't know if this would fall under our purview because it was a made for television movie. Oh, and once we start doing the special made for television movies, you know I got a whole list. I know. I mean, but listen to this cast, man. Uh, I mentioned Moses Gunn, uh, Damian Leek, Ernest Rayford, Alfre Woodard, Dennis Farina. Oh, uh, directed by Bill Duke. Uh, oh, no wonder, because it's an American. A house, the killing floor. Right, right. So that speaks to the pedigree. I've been wanting to do sophisticated gents for years. Well, everybody's been wanting us to do the emancipation of of Jane Pittman, Miss Jane Pittman, for years. Yeah. But that was a TV movie. Autobiography. Autobiography. Yeah, emancipation. I don't know what I'm talking about. No. What? Not <laughs> 35 minutes in. <laughs> I, ate a, I ate a shrimp. <laughs> I don't like the shrimp because it's got the mayonnaise on it. I'm not a big mayonnaise fan. The show continues. <laughs> the show does. The show does continue. Yes, it does. Um, I'm looking to see. I think I, I got a, a text from my girlfriend saying, "Love, please drink some water." I think she's watching this. <laughs> the water's in the other room. I can't stop the show. Um, when we get to when we get to the uh, trailer, when we get the trailer, talk, you're going to get some water. You get some water. Maybe and it's maybe slow down with the hurricane. I'm not even halfway through. All right. Know that maybe sips. I mean it's just this is nothing. <laughs> All right, Vincent. All right. Where are we? All right, you ready for the game of kings? Let me find my mouse. All right, uh, I know we <laughs> Where did you leave it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. That's the key. Why you would be surprised what a person can do with just a sense of love touch and a sense of sound. Six Degrees of Dervell Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Six Degrees of Dervell Martin, where Vincent will attempt in six films or less to get to an actor of my choosing. Okay. 
and connecting them with Derville Martin, that femme fatale himself. I was about to say, the femmest of fatales. Derville <laughs> Martin. And we're going to uh, connect him to, continuing a theme, some great femme fatales. Some great femme fatales. Derville Martin to great femme fatales. All right. All right. So, Vincent, starting off. Okay. In six films or less, connect Dervell Martin to Martin to Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. Well, Derville Martin, of course, is in the final come down with Billy D. Williams, who's in Batman with Kim Basinger. All right. Well, that was easy enough. <laughs> totally forgot about Batman. Wow. To- totally forgot about that connection. <laughs> Should never forget about Batman. True. But to be fair, she's one of the weak points of that film. Yes. So I do forget about her in that movie. Um, Kim uh, Kim Basinger, who was famously the femme fatale in L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential, Kim Basinger. Basinger. All, right. All right. All right. You got a hurricane over there, Vince? No. <laughs> <laughs> got a tropical storm heading your way, Vince? All right, but very good, Vincent. That was quick. All right, now get to and you can't use. I didn't say it before, but you didn't do it. You can't use the movie in which this person was a femme fatale. Okay, okay. okay. Right. So in six movies or less, get from Derville Martin, Derville Martin, to to probably the grandest of femme fatale femme fatales in oh. the. Modern age, Glenn Close. Glenn Close, I will not be ignored. <laughs> the femme fatale from Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction, but I can't use Fatal Attraction. No, you, you cannot. No, you cannot. All right. What I am going to use, however, we're still doing films that ended up on streaming, but they were supposed to be in the movies because of the pandemic. Yes. Yes. All right. In that case, this is how I'm going to get to Glenn Close because Glenn Close was actually in one of my absolute favorite movies of the past 10 years. And I'm going to get to her is Derville Martin was in. All right. So how am I going to get to this movie? I got so excited to get to this movie and then realized I was was going to get to the movie. Okay. Dervell Martin is in. Dervell Martin is? We know where you want to land, so I do. Without telling who the actor is, what's the film you want to land in? Well, I'm going to land in um, Swan Song. Okay. With Naomi Harris and Muriel. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So to get to them, you know, Naomi Harris always jams me up in that, in, in the um, James Bond. Right. Stuff. And then, of course, both of them were also in the magnificent moonlight. So that's how I think 
that's really where I think of both of them. I think of both of them there in Swan Song and they're in Moonlight. But you know what else? Derville Martin is also in, this is how I'm going to get to that. Derville Martin is in, Derville Martin is in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Sidney Poitier. Uh huh. Sidney Poitier uh, is in Uptown Saturday Night with Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor is in Nope, I'm starting all over again. I'm sorry. Derville Martin is in the final come down with Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams is Empire Strikes Back with um Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is in um Indiana Jones and the um Not the Lost Ark, the la- no, not the Last Crusade. Which one had short round in it? That's um uh uh uh, uh the the one in the middle, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom with uh short round. Are, are short yeah, round? He's down here. Yeah. What's his name? Kenny. Hold on, hold on. I'll tell you. Temple. I, I know people are, are shouting in the chat. I know yeah. these things when I'm looking it up. I'm gonna look. Yeah, Ki Hun Kwan. Ki Kwan, who is in Everything Everywhere. All at once. once. All at once with Michelle Yao, mm-hmm. who's in Crazy Rich Asians with Aquafina. Oh wow. Who's in? Oh, you're going far, Vince. Who's in Swan Song? With Glenn Close, okay, okay, very good. You, 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 you bypassed the shorter r- route. I don't know if I'm you know. sure I did. I'm sure I did. Like I know between um, Rivershala Ali and Naomi Harris, I could have gotten to Swan Song quicker. No, but you could have gotten to Glenn Close sooner through Billy D. Williams. What were they in together? No, but I'm just saying, um, Dervell's in. The model come down with Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams is in Batman with Michael Keaton, who's in the paper with Glenn Close. I have no, I, I have no idea what the paper is. Paper is a store is a movie about. Um, is actually about a newspaper, and um, Michael Keaton plays one of the. I think he's like one of the editors on the newspaper and Glenn Close plays like the, the managing editor. Sure. What else, what else is she really in that I would have known besides like Fatal Attraction? Besides Fatal Attraction. Well, she was, well, she was in the, our, our movie that we reviewed the girl with all the gifts. Yeah. Oh, she sure was. And um and she plays a similar role in Swan Song. Mm. And she's been I, I mean, God, she's been in so much stuff, but now when you think about it, it's like what has Glenn Close 
really been in. I'm going to go in the chat now. Um, she and 101 Dalmatians. That's right. Yeah, not for one moment did I see that. You know how I feel about the live action Disney thing. A 101 Dalmatians is good. You've said that about half of them Disney things. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I will contend that 101 Dalmatians, there is a a, a legitimate argument that the live action is better than the animated movie. I mean, that's fair, because the animated movie is, is, is pretty paper thin, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not in their their major heyday. Um, she was in Reversal of Fortune with Jeremy Iron with Rod yeah. Chill Brown. She was also in The Big Chill. The Big Chill. I always forget about The Big Chill. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, but as far as like now, you got you, you got me down a rabbit hole, Vince. These Disney quasi live action films. Yeah. Uh, um, I think 101 Dalmatians is actually better. Right. You're a Jungle Book guy. I'm a Jungle Book guy, but while that technically is kind of, I mean, I guess is live action because there is an actual human in it. Yeah. The rest of it is CG. Yeah. But, 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 but I, but, but to that, I would say that that is as fun. Well, as good as the original. I'm not going to say it's better. I'm right now. No, the book is good stuff. No, see, but I think the their CG one doesn't have the fun of the original, but it still has enough of its own kind of vibe that it is actually very good. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. It's just not as fun as the original. The the original is like is buckets of fun, right? Um, like, but like. Uh, similarly, like the Lion King, that blows next to the next to the original. Um, I didn't see Cinderella. I didn't see. I can't remember what else they did. I think they did a Beauty and the Beast one tonight. They did Aladdin. Aladdin's not. It's not near as good. Right. Yeah. So no, I don't. I don't. That's really the only ones where I would like unfurl any type of cape for. Okay. All right. But very good, Vincent. Well done. Yeah. Well done. All right. So that is Six Degrees of Durville Martin. Yes, it is. As we are moving right along. Oh, we are getting a good clip. I'm loving this. <laughs> well, somebody's in New Orleans. I want to hold you up for, for, but for so long. I know. I know. I got a, 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 some friends who want to go. They actually... They actually want to podcast after I'm done podcasting. They want to talk about all of the uh, some 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 geek news that came out that I'm sure Vincent is well aware of. Ah, uh, yes, that we want to go deep deep dive on. So we're going to oh, yeah. deep dive on that. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about all of that news too. By the way, well, we can talk about that in trailer talk. We'll yeah. get about that. We don't. We won't inundate. Go and get some water. When I go get some water, um, before we get into our review of a thin line between love and hate. We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. 
Lady, a glass of champagne. Hey, Nikki, do you know I ain't been able to think about anyone but you? Me, a baby. Looking beautiful tonight, girl. Darnell Wright. Brandy, she came. Man, she way out of your league, kid. No, no, because I'm going to hit that, and you know I'm going to hit that. He had a way with women. Why didn't you tell me you couldn't ride? <laughs> I'd have told you I could ride a monkey. I can get close to you. <laughs> and one rule. You know that's our code. Never tell them you love them. That had never been broken. Do you want me? you. Do you need me? I need you. Do you love me? Until now. I love you. Tell me it was worth it. Because think about cutting off. Now. You don't have to say anything. We had fun while it lasted. The man who's always looking for action. Well, why would I leave my man alone here on the ladies' night? I'm not your man. Is about to get. <laughs> oh, that's cold. <laughs> A lot more than he can handle. You said you love me. No, you, you can't say that. I think she a little off. You can't hit a woman, but I can't. Oh, 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 oh. Put your hands on the wrong. Excuse me. This is funky. Savoy Pictures presents... Darnell, you listen to me. A night full of passion can give you a lifetime of pain. Martin Lawrence. Here I come, world. Here I come. <laughs> He's walking a thin line between love and hate. You can't stop the love, baby. <laughs> a thin line between love and hate from 1996, ladies and gentlemen. A fast-paced, womanizing nightclub promoter gets paid back in full when he scorns a beautiful woman with psychotic tendencies who will punish him for breaking her heart. That is a thin line between love and hate. A film produced, written, directed, music supervised by one Martin Lawrence uh, it stars him as well alongside Lynn Whitfield, Regina King, Della Reese, Roger E. Mosley, and Michelle Mission favorite that we didn't know was our favorite, Bobby Brown. King the, film, the king of R&B. Uh, and the thin line between love and hate from 1996 Vincent, let's start with you. Start with me. What do you have to say about a thin line? Between love and hate. Yes. You have, to say the, you have to say the entire title. You do. What do you have to say about a thin line between love and hate? Well, I, I think we, we have to start with the credits. As you mentioned, this is directed by... This is produced by, this is based on a story by, a large part of the script was written by, and this is starring Martin Lawrence. 
That's very true. The, the, the script was written by Martin Lawrence along with Bentley Kyle Evans, Kenny Buford, and Kim Bass. So I think it is fair to say that this is a Martin Lawrence vanity project. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I think your reception of this film begins and ends with how much you enjoy the comedy of Martin Lawrence. Right. Frankly, Martin Lawrence plays this nightclub owner, Darnell Wright. He is a womanizer. He is a man about town. Along in, in his travels, he meets a mysterious woman played um by Lynn Whitfield. Brandy. Her name is Brandy. She is a real estate professional. She actually owns a real estate company. She is, is basically the Lynn Whitfield character. And what I always think about when I see Lynn Whitfield in movies, I saw someone post a meme where it was just different pictures of Lynn Whitfield in different projects. Mm-hmm. And it said Lynn Whitfield might play evil, but she don't never play broke. Right, right. Lynn Whitfield is is quite a lady and quite a force. And as as a beautiful, unattainable woman, Darnell, of course, has her in his sights and is drawn into her orbit. We also have Regina King, who plays uh, an old friend named Mia, who, who used to be... Darnell's friend, uh, you know, I could, high school, high school friend. Yeah, I don't right. I never got to since they were romantically involved in the past, but everyone around them, including his mother, played by Del Reese, mm-hmm. seems to see her as someone who can set him on the right path. The one that got away, the one that got away, the one who he never was 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 right for, because again. Darnell apparently has been this womanizer man about town for a matter of years. Right. Uh, There are a couple other folks around who who we like, but quite honestly, no one is really putting in a performance that is worthy of note, including Melinda Williams as Darnell's younger sister, Gil Nunez as Regina King's character's boyfriend or, or suitor. But uh, Daryl Chill um, Mitchell as another person in the um, club that doesn't um, age well. Right. Roger Mosley. How the hell is this our second movie with Roger Mosley? I know, right? And, you know, I have to say I've always been a fan of Martin Lawrence in his position. Here we go. I love Martin Lawrence and Boomerang. Mm-hmm. I love Martin Lawrence as as um one of Eddie Murphy's best friends. Mark, you know, Eddie Murphy's is Marcus's best friend. Um but he's um, but he's decidedly the third the third partner. Third, well, but you know, the great thing about Boomerang is is Eddie Murphy is 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 almost the straight man. That's true. In a lot of which allows Martin Lawrence to shine. In the moments he's given, yes. 
I think in house party, he brings an energy that works really well. Well, uh, also from the also from the the third man slot, also the third man slot. Big fan of the Bad Boys franchise, where he's a co lead. Uh huh. But for example, as a lead, has always left me a little cold. I, I was not a fan of the show, Martin. And I find Martin as a lead and frankly, as a romantic lead. A little unbelievable, frankly. That was the word that was in my head. Unbelievable. Like the film presents this image of this character who is, a, you know, he's a ladies man. Everyone loves him. This is a man who's able to pull a woman who looks like Lynn Whitfield and a woman who looks like Regina King. Uh-huh. And I found his personality really grating. Like, really grating. But I find that Martin character really great. Like, this is a version of the Martin character on on, on the show. show. Which, you know, to be fair, I am in the minority. Like, people love Martin. Mm-hmm. So even though I find him grating, apparently... People find him as this acceptable lead. And if you don't buy that, this is the foundational card that the House of Cards is built on. Right. You have to believe that this is a character that A, is attractive to all these women. Be attractive to the the caliber of a woman played by again both Regina King and Lynn Whitfield. Furthermore, this is the type of man that would drive Lynn Whitfield to a level of mania, a level of crazy that you get in the last half hour. Vincent, hold one second. Someone is at my door. Hold on. I'm sorry. I got to go get the door. Hold on. Right. So with that gone, it's hard for me to really get into the film. Just that 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 sort of generalized straight ahead plot of the film. Without that, you have to look for other attributes to to draw you in. And unfortunately, because this whole film is Martin Lawrence's production. You can't escape Martin Lawrence. He is a director, and this is his first time directing. Which, which, as 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 we mentioned, this this is his film. This is his film directing, and he this this film very much is as the hallmark of a first time director the a lot of the lot of the scenes run long a lot of the scenes um aren't really staged that well a lot of the scenes don't really capture all of the action like mm-hmm. like i think about one scene in particular where where the the, the men at the club are supposed to be having the conversation about women yes yes and 
And, you know, frankly, I think a conversation a lot of times is a difficult thing to capture on film because sort of sort of by definition, it is very static. It is there. There there is no action. It's just people talking and, and you have to avoid just having talking heads. Right. And it's a conversation between Mitchell's character, Bobby Brown's character and Martin Lawrence's character. And you lose track of the action. You lose track of, of, of what's being said that's supposed to be so important. None of the performances really pop at all. I, None of them. Martin Lawrence has one speed, which is that Martin Lawrence speed, which, as I said, if you like that speed, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of of that Martin Lawrence persona. Me neither. Lynn Whitfield is legitimately a great actress, but there's nothing for her here. Not a lot. No, uh, she plays standoffish and snooty, mm-hmm. and then she plays crazy, mm-hmm. and there's nothing really there to show you why. There's some lip service given to this backstory where apparently she murdered her husband and even that is 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 told almost in passing and right totally never really lets you know how you're supposed to feel about that that's right that's right to turn into a thriller is this something that i'm supposed to take as more comedy and and what do i do with it so that i know there are people with great affection for this film and people who have always had great affection for this film, but as as a as a riff of Boomerang, frankly, like like again, you get the sense that Martin Lawrence wanted to make his version of Boomerang. Mm-hmm. I found it wanting. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, well, first of all, he starts off the movie with a scene where he, Lynn Whitfield, and Regina King's character all fall through a window and land in a pool. Um, and it's clearly an homage because then it, then it opens with his narration. Right. Um, it, it, him dispelling the story that led to this moment. And it, it clearly is an homage to one of the great film noirs and, and never mind that one of the great films of all yeah. time Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. with um, William Holden and Gloria Swanson and in a, in a film that famously opens with William Holden's character dead yeah, face down face down in a pool and then him narrating the story that led to his demise is that Billy Walder? Billy Wilder, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so when it sets up there, he's already set the bar real high. Rough. Right? right? And considering that this is his first time writing and directing a film, you're immediately, if you're any student of history, you're like, bruh, you ain't have to do this to yourself, man. Right. Don't do it to yourself, dog. Um, 
The other thing I'm reminded of in regards to your critique against the the show Martin, which I, as the show continued along, became less and less a fan of that show. And when you hear the backstory about that that show, you realize over the course of its five seasons, more and more the other stars of the show became less and less fans of the show. Sure. And that is because Martin, which started off in 1992 and definitely started with Martin Lawrence as the the vehicle upon which that show, that engine of the show would run. Um, its greatest success was found in those first two to three seasons with the developing of the ensemble of that cast, right. which was Martin Lawrence, um, uh, 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 Tisha Campbell, Tisha Campbell, Arnold, Tachina Arnold, and you know, and um, yeah, everybody else that was on that film, that on that TV show, the the cast, the 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 building of that cast, that was the secret sauce of that show. But then, as that show continued on, and then as seemingly the ego of Martin Lawrence got bigger and bigger. That show became more and more just set up for Martin Lawrence to mug in front of the camera and everybody else to pretty much just stand there and watch it or maybe offer a, uh, a little commentary on it. But it was really about Martin Lawrence getting all of the, all of the jokes mean mugging for the for the character, leaning in hard for the character. That show starts in 1992. It lasted five seasons. It goes through the 1997 season. Um, a thin line between love and hate is 1996. This is right in the midst of when Martin Lawrence is in that mode yeah. of I am the funniest thing that can be put on this screen. And he is feeling his oats so much that that is what leads him to create a thin line between love and hate. And the biggest obstacle uh, of this film, the pedestrian direction, maybe you give it a pass because it is his first time directing, right? Mm -hmm. But you, what you cannot give a seasoned comedian and actor by this time a pass on is creating a film that does not allow anyone else to get any kind of shine. Martin Lawrence is in probably 97% of the scenes in this film. And in each of the film, the scenes in which he is the, he is in, he is the person that that is pulling all of the focus from the cam in the, in the camera. You do not notice. You are not meant to notice anyone else there. It, um, whether he's being um, trying to be funny, where he's trying to show some very weak acting and come off as sincere or loving or a, a ladies' man. No matter what he's trying to do. He is trying to pull focus every single minute that he is on the screen 
so that no one else, no one else, regardless of the the chops of Lynn Whitfield, Regina King, even at this time in her career. Oh yeah. Um, Della Reese. And even, say what you will about his acting, a man with the charisma of Bobby Brown. Look. None of it look is allowed to get any type of glow in the midst of Martin Lawrence being in the scene with them. How do you have Bobby Brown in the movie with you? You say he's your best friend and you basically don't have any buddy bits. If you notice, there's a point about halfway through this movie that is probably a good 20 to 25 minutes too long as well, where Bobby Brown is more or less um, sidelined to being a voice on the phone. Yes. He's like, like almost so almost to the point that when he does show up on scene, it makes you think they actually filmed that scene a while ago. Like, I think like Bobby Brown left this movie. He's like, y'all dog, y'all don't need me, man. Like, I will just talk into the phone for y'all. Right. Um, it makes absolutely no sense. Like you said, there's no buddy bits. Even the moment when Bobby Brown is allowed to have a scene by himself, one of the maybe two or three where somebody else has a scene without Martin Lawrence, even that's not even shot well. And and Martin and Bobby Brown's not allowed to really shine in that in that moment. Look, I don't I don't know what's going on with Bobby Brown at this moment with his personal demons. So you know maybe that had something to do with it. But I, 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 I do wonder because Bobby Brown, all jokes aside, like I'm joking about Bobby Brown. He has so much natural charisma. Yes. Yes. That you do get the sense that some force involved with this film that is written, directed, produced, and starring Martin Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know what that force may be. Right, small force had to neuter Bobby Brown a bit. I know, I know, and and I well, look, I'm I'm sorry. I believe that it is Martin Lawrence and this and the screenplay, which is not a good screenplay because the other problem is the screenplay. So you talk about Martin Lawrence is not believable as a um a ladies' man. He's not. He's 100% not. And it's evident from the beginning, like the first moment he appears on screen, because ladies and gentlemen, before watching A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, I always had heard the term of a bird chest, but never really had an idea of what a bird chest looked like. Yeah, it's all right. Martin Lawrence has, in 1996 at least, the definition of a bird chest. Yeah, but let's stick to his actual performance. There are lots of men who have bird chests who were, you know, quite charming. Like, like you know, my beloved Eddie Murphy. My favorite part of Coming to America is when they said, you know, Eddie, we about to have this scene 
where you're going to uh, do karate and, and you're going to have your shirt off. Maybe you should do some sit-ups or some some push-ups or something. And Eddie Murphy said, I'm Eddie Murphy. I don't have to do none of that. And it works. Well, it works, but I would contend that Mur- Eddie Murphy doesn't have a bird chest. He may not have the most defined chest, but he doesn't have a bird chest. Martin Lawrence got a bird chest, dog. He got a bird seed chest. All right? I, I'm bigger issue is but there are bigger issues. There definitely are bigger issues. He's just really annoying. He's an, not only is, but you know what? I will, I will live on him being annoying, right? And you see that he, he is dating these like three around the way women that go to his club, right? Um, one who's horribly shy and he kind of like gasses her up. One who's a little bit uh, mouthy, but he still is able to butter her up. And another one who has kids and he's able to like fill her with hopes and dreams of, you know, taking her and the kids out of whatever situation they're in. Wendy Raquel Robinson, another actress wasted, wasted in this movie. But okay, none of those characters are 100% fleshed out. So they're meant to be just the ciphers that they are, right? But in that notwithstanding, Martin Lawrence's character is definitely fleshed out, as you said, to have to be ladies' man is being kind. He is made out to be a dog, a 100% professional dog, right? From from the be- from the beginning of the film and really all the way to the end of the film. Say, it's pretty consistent. It's pretty consistent throughout the entire film. God bless them. However, Lynn Whitfield's character, Brandy, as well as uh, Regina King's character, Mia, Brandy, by virtue of being this um, high-stakes real estate broker, um, and Mia, by virtue of being a, a, a armed forces veteran, who got out of her circumstances and making more of her life. Both of them, if not 100% portrayed, or at least we are told, are fully fleshed, fully fulfilled, intellectually um, intuitive, intuitive um, women, right? Who, though Lynn Whitfield has just met um, Martin and Mia's, Regina King's Mia has always known Martin, who already know his game. They are, they've seen this coming. Yet this movie would not only have us believe that these two highly intelligent women would fall for his jive right. with 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 mere stupid words in in some in some like in Lynn Whitfield maybe you buy it because she didn't 100% knows him and he puts on like this big you know sh- uh song and dance to to get her and you want to maybe buy it that like, all right, maybe she just bought in for like, all right, this is just going to be what it is for the time being. You quickly learn that it's not, and she's got some other issues, but it's whatever, right? Still don't make any sense, but whatever. 
Mia has known him all his life. She knows he's a dog. He's still a dog when she returns to town. For her to just be able to give in just because of some sweet nothings on a doorstep totally devalues the character that has been built up throughout the the beginning of the film, right? And Lynn Whitfield's character, she is not given the true height of the intelligence that we are led to her believe or that the 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 film would have us believe that she has by giving into his game the way that she does because the narrative says that she has to then switch on a dime and then become the bad guy right right and i hate that you know you know what movie this was bringing to my mind watching this again I was in acrimony all over again. Oh, boy, he's having acrimony flashbacks. And I was like, dude, like, dog, I cannot believe this movie would have us believe that these women do not have the intent. It's one thing if, if, like I said, it's one thing if the film does not lead us to believe that these women have a reasonable intelligence, but it does. And then for, so you set you set up where they're supposed to live, and then just for narrative's sake, they throw that all out the window, so that for them to fall for the for this bullshit, and like I'm, that actively just made me angry. I could understand that. Okay, like all right, maybe that is a sign that this film doesn't wear well, but it also I can't help. But because of the time in which this film was made, makes me think of some of the demons that Martin Lawrence was dealing with at this time. Because you have to remember, at this time on his TV show, this is around when Tisha Campbell is refusing to appear on screen with him, right? So you wonder how much of some of the things that she's complaining about are kind of like right in front of us on this screen, but because of his his shucking and jiving, you know, you kind of just take it in. It's like, oh, Martin being Martin. And I'm sorry, I just couldn't look at it through that lens in 20, 2023, no matter how hard I tried. <clears throat> you ready for this one? You ready for this one? I think Tyler Perry develops Taraji P. Um, Taraji P. Ensign's character in Acrimony mm-hmm. in a more nuanced fashion. You're absolutely does this character. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Lynn Whitfield plays. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because whether I, I agree with it or not, it does play out and there is some type of underlying logic to it. You know? Yeah, I might not agree with it, but I can see the through line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not it's not visible in this film at all. But again, I, I I do think I do think we have to acknowledge, especially if we are talking about a black audience. Uh-huh. You and I are decidedly in the minority about Martin Lawrence. That's very true. That is very true. And as we have always said, 
while there are faults with this film, if you love Martin Lawrence, I think I think it is fair to assume that a lot of people don't mind the faults that we're pointing out. Uh-huh. Because we aren't as big of fans as Martin. Like, like, like again, in a lot of ways, not even a lot of ways, because there's so many scenes that, you know, if I'm going to be kind, are allusions to scenes in Boomerang. Yes, and yes. not be kind, they're just straight rip-offs. Rip-offs of, of Boomerang. For me, Boomerang works because Eddie Murphy Tell it. is a character who is actually charming. Uh-huh. Who mm-hmm. I actually believe that he has all of these situations with all of these women culminating in, in you know, what happens between him and, and Haley Barrett's character. Right. But if I don't believe Eddie Murphy as someone who embodies these embodies this character, if I don't believe in this character, I do wonder if you would have the same critique of Boomerang, which I think is a far superior film, just on the technical level. Fine. But Boomerang is another film. If you don't buy Marcus, the whole thing collapses. Right, that's true. Conversely, if you are a Martin Lawrence fan, if you do buy Darnell, I'm wondering how much it holds up for you. Because, you know, like you said, this is a film with its fans. It has its fans, but I wonder, to be fair, because there's one thing that I've learned of the a large swatch of the black movie community, people that lo- say they love movies, right? right. Um, there are those that are like us and like the missionaries who will return to a film over and over again, right? right. But I think the vast majority of them will watch a movie maybe catch it on cable once and twice, you know, in the subsequent year or maybe two years after it has pre premiered and kind of move on to the, to the next thing. Right. Right, right, right. I hear so, so that, so that the films of old live on in their memories or in, you know, 2023, maybe live on in, you know, repurpose memes or gifts, right? So I wonder if a film like this, A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, as much as we're like, you know, hating on Daryl, Martin Lawrence character in this film, the people that say that they're huge fans of it, how much are they really remembering how irritating he is? Versus how good in the few moments that Lynn Whitfield is given to actually find some kind of nuance uh, in which to perform, how good she is in those moments. Because there's a moment where they are sitting on the couch and she is asking him, you know, about whether or not 
he, you know, really likes her and loves her. And she's being vulnerable in that moment. And she's there. She's present emotionally in that moment. Martin Lawrence isn't because Martin Lawrence is not is not present emotionally in any moment in the scene. But she 100% is. And that's indicative of a few other scenes in this film. The two precious, uh, precious few, but some others as well. And I wonder how much it, it's not the memory of that and the feeling that that gives people that they really cherish about this movie uh, as opposed to the overall experience. Because I would challenge that people that say that they love this film, and even if you do love Martin Lawrence as the Martin Lawrence of it all, to watch this movie again and say that they come away with it with the exact same feeling. I, I find it hard to believe that people really would. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's fair. I think it is a film that comes up, but but again, to, to keep going back to Boomerang, it's not a film that you hear people quoting. Exactly. It's not a film that has any particular scenes in it that that are memorable. Yeah, like I didn't even remember the opening. Yeah. You were just run on you were, bang, 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 bang. All day from Boomerang. Earth knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, in near say the scene verbatim, or or more to the point, and this gets to another aspect of this movie. When if anybody hears a song from the soundtrack of Boomerang, they think of how much they like the song, but they could also think of a moment where that song plays in the movie. This movie, which has a pretty aggressive soundtrack, because that was the the modus operandi of the time. Um, you know, it was such a good word. <laughs> uh, that, it's like, whoa. <laughs> um, but I would challenge you to one really remember any of the songs except the 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 title song, of course. Um, and then really see whether or not it brings to mind anything else about the movie, right? right? Like, I have forgotten there is a very piss-poor Stevie Wonder remake in this, in this movie that I was like, oh, this is this is not going well. Can we move on from this, please? Can we please move on from this? This is not working. This is not working. There's just nothing of this film really worked for me. And it's not a shame because, look, Regina King, Lynn Whitfield, they're going to go on to much better and bigger things. Bobby Brown. This is not why we love Bobby Brown. You know, I think the, no, Martin Lawrence went on to make better movies. Right. We don't even remember Della Reese in this movie, even though she had the, probably the only other scene that anybody else has given to shine beside Martin Lawrence. I think the, the, the other crime of this movie, and even this doesn't define his career it's Daryl Chill Mil- uh, Mitchell playing a character that does n- a stuttering character that does not age well no. at all. I'm telling you, you can draw a straight line 
from so many of the bits in this movie to frankly Eddie Murphy movies. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the stuttering Daryl Mitchell, which is a version of somebody going to get net and then knock the fuck out. Harlem Knights. Della Reese, of course, is a transplant from Harlem Knights. Right. Yo Nunez is the chicken king, not to be confused with the Jerry Curl King that from um coming, uh, coming to America. Right. So much of this. Miguel Nunez, another act, another talent that's wasted. Absolutely wasted. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, um that point brings to mind real quick, just moving off of this a little bit. In the wake of Eddie Murphy, right? When Hollywood is looking for another black comedy star, right. it's fair to say that Martin Lawrence is, even though we haven't covered a lot of his films, it's probably the biggest name to come in the wake of him. Well, it's Ryan Lawrence and Chris Tucker. Yeah, but isn't Chris Tucker, I guess he is around this time as well. I mean, the He's in the hopper. What year is Friday? Hot, the, Friday's in the 90s, early 90s. Yeah. So I guess he is in the hopper. Because, but I guess I don't, I guess the reason why I don't think of, of Chris Tucker is because of outside of being part of an ensemble in a couple of other movies, um, Jackie Brown, as well as um, I just forgot the movie uh, Anton Fuqua with um, Lorenz Tate. I mean, the Rush Hour movies are just Beverly Hills Cops. Well, that's what I was going to say. Outside of outside of Jackie Brown and the Lorenz Tate film with the with the white the, the bank robbery, like Rez, Dead, Dead Presidents. Dead, right outside of Dead Presidents, you really only know him. In the film world, is the Rush Hour film, yeah. as opposed to Martin Lawrence, who kind of before he locked on to uh, to to the Big Mamas, he yeah. did you know he he jumped in and out of a few films, you know, yeah, right. and even to a degree, like I think his contemporary probably you're you're probably right about Chris uh, Chris Tucker. You could make an argument in, in and around that same time as, as uh, for Chris Rock, but I was going to say maybe Damon Wayans because Damon kind of pops up in a couple of things as well. Damon Wayans pops up, and but Damon Wayans quietly like Chris Rock. You got the sense they were kind of doing interesting things, mm-hmm. like like yeah. Damon Wayans. Look, I mean, what do you got? You got the last Boy Scout. You've got um Major Pain. Yeah, but you got more you more money. More money, you've got blank man. Like Dana Wayans quite right. a pretty you know. He was trying to do he was trying to do something. Right. And you know, and Chris Rock was was always trying to damn near make art house films. Yeah, yeah. Or, or find his find his voice in front of the screen. I don't yeah, know if he, yeah, but he, he might go from Martin Lawrence, frankly, to Kevin Hart. Yeah, 
Well, Kevin Hart is definitely the most successful, I would say, since Eddie Murphy. Right. Right. I'm just going to churn out. Yeah. yeah. If you want to, if you want to say that Chris Tucker maybe got got stuck in a rut with the Chris with the Rush Hour films, then I think you definitely there's the direct line to Kevin Hart. Yeah. Who followed yeah, in on Eddie Murphy's name? Tucker, um, just because his personal beliefs stopped Dwight. That's true. That's true too. That's true. Very, very well. Um, uh, Farrell Blackwell is is joining the chat. He says he got to admit that he hasn't seen A Thin Line Between Love and Hate in a long time. The most I remember was thinking to myself, it's some great actors in this movie. Why is it so bad? Um, that's what questions we asked. These are the questions. And he also says that in the TV show that it was the TV show that set Martin apart from the rest. Damon Wayans didn't catch on to that until later, and Chris Tucker stuck to the movies. I would say that Chris Damon Wayans actually he was trying his hand, like like Vincent said, he was trying his hand in in films. Um, and you could say maybe they didn't hit the success of some of the Eddie Murphy films and the uh, some of the Martin Lawrence films, and then he found himself on TV with um, you know, my wife and kids. But he was trying something. And I, I can't, I can't knock the man for, you know, for giving the the, the college try. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I'm a, fa- and look, quite as kept, I'm a fan of the last Boy Scout. I'm a fan of Blank Man. You know, yeah, I, I, I mean, like Man, but the last Boy Scout, that's that's good stuff. Yeah. But, um. So you know, I, I'm 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 with him on where he was trying to go. All right, but Vincent. Would you recommend a thin line between love and hate to the missionaries and our audience writ large? I'm going to stick with where I started. And I'm going to say, if you like Martin Lawrence, you may like this film. Hmm. I am not a fan of Martin Lawrence out front by himself. And I am not a fan of this film. So I would not recommend it. Yeah, I got to lean on there as well. Um, I think you're right. I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't really visited his films, his solo films as much on the mission so far is because neither of us are really big fans of his movies. Yeah. Um, I don't think they necessarily hold up the films that hold up are ones where he is either in a co-starring or um part of an ensemble yeah uh in the cast um but a thin line between love and hate ladies and gentlemen i would say if you are a fan of martin watched really you only need to watch the first two seasons of martin but it may be into the third i think he starts feeling himself sometime in the third no see you're doing it you're talking to somebody who's not a fan I think there are people that love all five seasons of Martin. That's true. And those are the people I'm talking about that may like this film. Well, you know what? Because he's doing his shtick. Like he's doing his shtick. Well, here's the thing. Okay, then then to that degree, I would still say, well, first of all, I'm landing on you, not recommending the movie. I, and, and I don't care if you are a fan of Martin. Don't don't watch this film because even if you are a fan of the Martin of the all five seasons of the Martin show, trust me, you in those five seasons, 
or in those last two seasons, you've seen the best iteration of the character that he plays in a thin line in those last two seasons of Martin of Martin Lawrence. And there he's going up against actors who, because they have been baked into that system, as much as they are asked, as much as as little as is asked of them to bring to the screen, they find their way to pop a little bit in and amongst the noise. As opposed as opposed to this film where no one except Linda Winfield, because she's the co-lead, is really given a moment to shine. And even Lynn Whitfield, I just don't like the way her character is portrayed. So I can't recommend this film. You if you like Martin Lawrence, just stick to your Martin Lawrence DVDs. Um rewatch them or watch it on streaming. Stay away from a thin line between love and hate. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, we don't know what we're going to what we're going to be watching next week, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't set our our calendar for February just yet. It'll have black people in it, though. Safe to say, it would have black people. Um, Farrell Blackwell wants to know, wants to ask us, where does this rank in Martin's filmography? It's pretty low. Is it? To me, I mean, maybe not. Here you go. Here you go. What Martin now? Now, are we saying? Films that Martin Lawrence was the lead. Like we're not including like do the right thing. Or even house party. Okay, so so let's so let's only conclude films where he is either the lead or co-lead. Okay, well, I mean, obviously the bad boy movies are better than everything he's made. Yeah, but you know what's better than the bad boy movies? What? Life. Life. Okay, so life, life is life. The bad boy movies. Um, I'm looking at his filmography now, uh, and like the movies where he's like the the sole lead. It starts with, it starts with the comedy film, which is not good. You so crazy, right? Um, that's not good. Uh, then there's the thin line. There's nothing to lose, which is him with Tim Robbins. This is better than that. This is way better than that. Then there's life. There's blue streak. This is where he like he he pretends to be the cop. That better than that. This is better than that. Um, and then after that is really after that is Big Mama's house, which I which I hate. I don't like this Big Mama's house either. I'll take this over both Big Mama's houses. Uh, then the next film is him with Danny DeVito with the, what's the worst that could happen. I've never seen that movie. I was about to say, I don't think I've even seen that. Um, then there's black Knight. I think that's the one where you like kind of like time travels. Yeah. This is better than that. It's just way better than that. Way better than that. Then he has another, he has another stand-up film, uh, run, tell that, mm-hmm. um, that's not good. I didn't like that. National Security, which is oh, him and Steve Zahn. 
that's kind of like to me that's trying to trying to find a little lethal weapon type of vibe left it to old devices martin lawrence makes bad movies well yeah um because after that you got bad boys too you've got rebound where he's a basketball coach um that's not good that's him trying to do like family movies then he does Big Mama's House 2. Um, then he's voice acting in Open Season, which is, yeah, it's a cute little movie. And then his next real, I mean, like, he's in Wild Hogs, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, which is... You know what? I actually kind of like Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. I think I saw that one. I'd have to see it again. But while he is the lead in that, I think that definitely would be considered more of an ensemble film. No, he's absolutely the lead. I don't know, man. Like, this element is an ensemble. 2008, Martin Lawrence, Nicole Ari Parker, Margaret Avery, Michael Clark Duncan, Mike Epps, Monique, Cedric the Entertainer. Um, Yes, 100% the lead. Okay, all right. I could be credit for that one. And I like like that movie. Okay, all right. Um, he also stars with Raven Simone in College Road Trip in 2008. Never saw that. Then, now, now this is definitely ensemble because I think he's co-lead with Danny Glover and Chris Rock in Death at a Funeral. I never saw that. I remember seeing that. That's not bad. It's not. I don't remember it being bad. Let's. Let me I was that as a Chris Rock movie, but okay. Uh, and then his his last really big story role is the third Big Mama's movie, Big Mama's Like Father, Like Son in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Kill that with fire. Yeah. So, uh, and before that, you know, after that, that's 2011. He doesn't really really star in a film again till Bad Boys for Life. Right. In 2020. Right. So, I would say it ranks pretty hot. The vast majority of the films you just said, we said this is better than them. I guess it is better maybe than most of his solo efforts. But if I'm going to say the movies where he is the co-lead, like you said, I think this is below life. It's below the Bad Boys films. Um, I put it below Welcome Home Roscoe Jenkins. And you know what? I'm done. Yeah, you know what? I think I I would definitely put it. But I don't even remember the movie. But I will put it behind, be below uh, Roscoe Jenkins, and you're right. I might be done. <laughs> I might be done. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I guess it. I guess that is putting it. You know, it's not top five, but it's higher than we would have thought. Yeah. And yet. You still shouldn't see it, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 not at all. Don't waste your time. All right. All right. Uh, if you are a fan of the Michaud Mission, ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to check us out. The Michaud Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. Go to MichaudMission.com and hit swag where you can catch out all the cool designs and gifts that we have available by way of our good friends at Tee Public. You can also leave us a voicemail at 215-867-9666. Tell Vincent and Len what is on your mind. You can email us 
at michellemission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mission. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission on YouTube at Michelle Mission. And wherever you ca- check out our podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review, especially if it's on Spotify and Apple, because that helps people find our show, which is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, where they make podcasts work. Tune in Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday, where Vincent and I will return for what we have just learned will be the final edition of Ripples in Time, the Kindred podcast, as we review alongside our co-hosts, Ariel Johnson and Charlene Griffith Aro, uh, episodes seven and eight, the final two episodes, the recently canceled FF Hulu series Kindred adapted from Octavia Butler Uh, that'll be streaming live Thursday at 7pm I will be back in Philly so we will be in the building I think Charlene will actually be tuning in from Africa actually but um, that will be the final edition of Ripples in Time Yeah, wasn't our call but they made the call for us all right all right all right uh i think that's it vincent i believe so uh we will try and get andrea lawful sanders onto the show uh some other time uh down the line absolutely oh definitely we got a very special guest uh coming up in february as we're going to do our first me show redo uh, wait till we announce that ladies and gentlemen that will be a lot of fun um, it's one that we're eager eager to do. So look for that announcement sometime in our newsletter as well as next week here on the Michelle Mission. Until next week, he's Vincent, I'm Len, and in parting we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>